0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Marcus E, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. This week's episode is brought to you by Appkeys. Have you ever launched a new feature that wouldn't waited days or even weeks to get that user data you requested? You're not alone. We're still way too dependent on developers. That's why product marketers around the world are calling AppQs their new favorite product marketing tool. AppQs empowers product marketers to measure and improve product adoption without a developer. Brands like Amplitude, Privy, Full Story, and Lyft use AppQs to track feature usage and engage users with in-app onboarding tours, feature announcements, and surveys. No quota required. Visit AppQs.com to start your free trial today. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Avery Wong, product marketing manager, developer, platform, and experience at LinkedIn. Before diving into the world of product marketing headfirst, Avery was a classically trained accountant turned customer success manager, jumping from Credit Suisse to Princess Cruises in an accounting capacity, and then from Nielsen to App Annie in a client facing role. Throughout her career, Avery has balanced her quantitative mindset against the need for a qualitative approach, which has paid dividends in her role as a product marketing manager at LinkedIn. Speaking of LinkedIn, there are likely few product marketers who aren't aware of LinkedIn's vast talent and marketing solutions. However, some may be surprised to learn the depth and breadth of their platform offering, which includes APIs and integrations across many of its primary areas of focus, all of which must be effectively marketed and sold to developers who are looking to integrate LinkedIn solutions into their own. During our chat, Avery and I dig into the nuances that differentiate developer product marketing from traditional product marketing. We also discuss the unique challenges and benefits of marketing to developers, and by developer product marketing, is likely to become an increasingly big part of the larger product marketing landscape in the coming years. All right, with that out of the way, Let's get into it. Hey, Avery, how's it going? Hi, good. How are you? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you here today. Same. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it then. Can you give our listeners a rundown of your career so far, how you landed at LinkedIn, and what you do there as a PMM developer platform and experience?
1: Sure. Um, So my career has expanded quite a few roles in industries. Honestly, I didn't even like marketing coming out of undergrad. So it's kind of ironic that I ended up where I am today. I started my career in accounting and finance and then used my MBA to essentially pivot to the marketing industry. First in market research at Nielsen, then in mobile, in a startup, I got that the tech bug living in San Francisco, and then now in MarTech in, at LinkedIn. I would say like a theme for a lot of my roles post MBA has been about understanding the customer, either in, uh, in the field as like a customer success manager and now in product marketing. My current role at LinkedIn, I lead product marketing for our marketing developer program, which essentially offers a set of APIs that enable MarTech companies to build solutions that complement LinkedIn marketing natively. So I do like traditional go-to-market for new developer products and APIs, and it also includes uh, you know like program management and understanding the developer journey.
0: I'm curious. You mentioned that you didn't really have an interest in marketing after completing your undergrad. What what changed or made that- you pursue marketing after your MBA? Uh,
1: so I think where it started off, I wasn't keen on my marketing professor in undergrad, and I think when you like don't really love the class you assume like you're not going to love the industry. So it really kind of speaks to anything can happen in your career and just be open to it. And so I think that's kind of how I ended up there from like post MBA, when I started at Nielsen, that kind of moved me, that started my role in like market research and being comfortable with numbers and understanding the customer uh, and to finally kind of pivot to product marketing. I think when I was a customer success manager at the startup, I Was got very in-depth experience on the product, but realized that I didn't want to be in sales long term. And so I was lucky enough to have a manager that was uh, a great guide to where I wanted to go and kind of directed me to product marketing.
0: And I think that really highlights how important the various mentors, whether they're academic or professional, uh, how important their role is in, in someone's career journey. And yeah, I can definitely attest to having um, very few, but the odd professor who definitely discouraged me, let's say from pursuing various areas of business that otherwise may have been an option for me, but uh, happy that I landed on marketing. And it sounds like obviously you are as well, because you've built quite a career for yourself in the space. So yeah, that's 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 interesting to hear. Um, what skills you may have developed as an accountant that you could say may have made you a better or at least a more unique product marketing manager? Because I always find where product marketers start so fascinating because some so many of them don't start in product marketing is there anything about your time as an accountant that you feel has made you a better product marketer
1: my experience in accounting has really made me comfortable with numbers with data analysis and that's been very helpful as a product marketer when you think about like market research if you're doing like any kind of quant survey if you're measuring product adoption being able to pull numbers myself feeling comfortable with analysis and then you know the nerdy side of me, like loves building spreadsheets. I love a good pivot table. And so I think that adds like an additional level to being a product marketer, that it's not just about like the marketing aspect around how do I launch a product, but it's also about how do I measure adoption?
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I too am a fan of a good Excel or, or Google sheet. And I always find it interesting when you tell people who aren't in product marketing that you know, you're know you comfortable with numbers. are always like, but I thought you were a marketer. It's like, well, yeah, marketers can be good at numbers too. And actually that's a big part of the job is being comfortable with the numbers. So I can absolutely understand how having that strong you know, quantitative background that you would develop as an accountant would make you a better product marketer. So I think that, that makes perfect sense. So thanks for sharing that. Sure. All right. So let's dive into the topic at to hand today and that's developer um, marketing. You know, it's, An area that I've heard mentioned quite a bit, and I've seen, you know, advertise different roles on LinkedIn or on other um, platforms or or just in product marketing related content. And I personally don't know a lot about it. Would you be able to kind of like give me a quick download on what developer marketing is and how it differs from your standard marketing or even standard product marketing?
1: Sure, of course. Um, And I'm definitely still continuing to learn about it. I think it's a newer niche area that we're all kind of growing and learning. In some sense, it's the same as traditional marketing in that you're trying to grow awareness and adoption of a product. But I think it's more about how how it's different is how you go about doing it. So for one, it's very much heavily focused on the experience that a developer may have engaging with the technology. So it's not just about that blog post that you push out or that email. It's about how they engage with the different tools or resources that you offer as part of your platform to drive that awareness and adoption and have them eventually become an advocate. So a few things that I've learned that are like that are different for developer marketing. One is their kind of aversion to traditional marketing and that flowery marketing catchy kind of copy and it's more about kind of clear communication what the functional benefit is versus an emotional benefit. So one example is for a launch that I'm working on, we're thinking about a video, but you know, the rest of my team that does more traditional product marketing, they may get to do this like fun animated uh, video versus that's not going to appeal to my developer audience. They just want to know like, what do I need to know? How does it work? Is it going to save me time? How does it enable me to be more efficient? So it's definitely a little drier in that sense, but I think for me, for someone who like enjoys that more logical uh, thinking it really appeals to my strengths.
0: I can definitely see that making a lot of sense, especially again, based on your accounting background, having that ability to not necessarily stick to the numbers, but numbers are very clean and cut and there's not a lot of, uh, leeway in numbers. So I'm sure having that strong, again, that quantitative background, um, makes communicating to people who are either just as equally, uh, quantitatively sound or at least logically focused, uh, makes that communication, as you said, a lot easier to get across. And I, I definitely commend you because you know I've been fortunate that I've marketed primarily to other creatives or other marketers in my career so far, or other people who, again, don't necessarily maybe love is a strong word, the flowery side of marketing, but can appreciate a good creative marketing asset. So I can imagine having to engage with an audience that might not necessarily love them to the same degree and might to your point, proactively dislike that kind of content, your ability to uh, engage with them and and position and sell your product in a way that speaks the audience. It's definitely a challenge. So I respect you for, for being so good at it.
1: That's funny you say that because I think, I think the opposite is harder. The like catchy copy that, you know, that really grasps everyone and Stays top of mind for the average consumer, I think, is so hard, and really admire folks that can do that. And so, I think it really just depends on like what your skill set is and which one's a better fit for you.
0: Couldn't agree more. And I think that's the beauty of product marketing, as you said, it is not necessarily a new field, but it's an evolving one, and all these different niche areas are popping up, and it does allow people or product marketers, rather, with a various set of skills, to find their own niche and really explore it and and become strong in that area. So it's, again, never been a better time, I think, to become a product marketer because you can explore all these different niche areas and and develop skills or um, leverage existing ones uh, to make you that much stronger in your role. So couldn't agree more on the topic of having to approach developers differently and market to them differently. You mentioned in uh, our, you know the preparation for our conversation today, developing the voice of a developer program. So I'm curious how going through that exercise and developing that program may have differed from a traditional you know voice of the customer program or something that isn't so focused on developers specifically. Could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, so when I came on board at LinkedIn, we didn't have this program and that was a big need and ask when I first joined, especially from my product team, they were kind of leveraging kind of gut feeling, uh, looking at competitive research to guide what their roadmap should be, but didn't really have a good sense of what are really the pain points that our developers specifically were challenged with what is blocking adoption and growth. Um, So what's similar in that we use similar tools, regardless of whether it's developers or marketers. So today we use AHA to streamline feedback. And so I think the process is the same. What's different is the channels that you use to collect that feedback. Um, So for us, for the developer, I look at like where they are because where they are is different from a marketer. And so that could be in product, that could be in our documentation, develop a community, a lot of them are in Slack social or even in Slack. And so it's been a learning of where can I go to get um, the feedback that I need where they are. And it may also depend on like the type of feedback. So for example, we initially started off with, you know, email surveys that found that it didn't really get the results that we want when you send out a long, you know, 10 plus question survey. Uh, developers weren't necessarily keen on responding to those versus I think if you do something in product or something um, via the community or Slack, where it's maybe short, quick questions, we find that we get much better results there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of other kind of insights and learnings you uncovered as you were going along. And I'll, I'll kind of ask you for those in a second here, but I do want to touch on something really quickly that you kind of introed with, and that's You know, when you came into the product team, they were struggling to get that feedback. And I think that's really the power of what a product marketer can bring to existing product teams is that kind of translation layer between what's happening today, but what your customers either want to see happen or or might not know what they want to see happen yet. Um, You know, a lot of times because they're so busy, product managers, uh, at least in my experience, again, to your point, have been focused on, well, what are the gaps in our product? Relative to our competitors, what are we seeing? Um, you know, customers give us today in terms of feedback through the odd ways in which we ask them. You know, ad hoc, uh, but a product marketer can come in and look at that and say, "Okay, well, here are again, like much like you guys are product manager, look at the product gaps. Here are the gaps in that uh, translation layer between you and your customers, and and I'm going to act as that translation layer." And yeah, I think to your point. Um, just because it's called the voice of Developer program. If someone's looking to develop one for the first time themselves, they shouldn't approach it any differently than they would a traditional voice of the customer program. There's a lot of similarities, but the learnings, uh, like you said, are probably very different.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And on the topic of learnings, was there anything that you uncovered in developing that program that surprised you or or feedback that you received um, that you didn't expect? Uh, You know, obviously, Share what you can, um, knowing that you can't get too specific about maybe some of the feedback and how it affects your product. But just generally speaking, was there anything that kind of surprised you along the way?
1: Um, I don't think any, anything surprised us in terms of the feedback that we got. What it did was hone in on like mm-hmm. really some some key pain points that became very apparent when, you know, over 50% of the feedback or the qualitative verbatims that you're getting point to say documentation, you know, that's a big problem. And so what's helped is that, you know, you, you can't argue with a customer or developer saying this is the pain point. And so bringing that, building that case for what's needed to address this, whether that's you know resources or commitments to improve something makes that case. And I think your influence as a product marketer, much stronger.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think it reinforces that point you said earlier about, again, a lot of times product teams or, or really anybody in the organization can act on that gut feel. And as a product marketer, you can come in and say, okay, well, let's go ask our customers. Here's how we're going to actually go through this in a, in a very logical and process-oriented way. And you might not come away with that with any big ahas or net new or, oh my God, this, could you believe that they said this? We had never expected them to say that. Instead, you can come out of that experience and be like, Hey, those gut feelings that we had, they were actually right, but let's prioritize some of those gut feelings based on the type of feedback we're getting. And we'll tackle this one first and this one next, or maybe we'll explore this gut feeling down the road, but it's not a big priority for us now. So that's, again, just that ability to um, legitimize and justify and, and really prove some of those gut feelings to be true or false can be a real benefit as opposed to just always having to uncover something net new every single time.
1: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think all product teams struggle with prioritization. And I think the more as product marketers that we can help them prioritize, but with insights makes us
0: stronger. Absolutely. And when you were going through that voice of developer um, program and creating it from scratch, I'm curious, um, You know, aside from the learnings and some of those insights specific to your solution, did you uncover anything that you would say would be like good advice, tips or tricks or things to avoid for others looking to start their own voice of the developer program that you'd be able to share?
1: Yeah, I would say that two big learnings for me, one was around timing. So for us, we struggled with getting enough sample size for several quarters, especially around the email survey that we were sending out. And I think we just weren't in the place to be fielding long form surveys. Like our roadmap wasn't moving fast enough. Our team wasn't addressing a lot of the pain points fast enough, which I think deters any developer, any customer from providing feedback they They want to know that the feedback is going somewhere and that's being addressed. And so I would say timing is pretty key when you think about how you're collecting feedback. Are you kind of sharing back and kind of closing that loop in a way that warrants to continue to to ask them to spend time to ride that feedback? I think the second learning for me was around... Um, better kind of aligning or matching the type of feedback that you want with the channel. And so whether you're looking for kind of general feedback on the experience, or you're looking for kind of quick feedback on a specific product, or, you know, you want them to help prioritize, I have all these, my PM has these five products that he wants to launch, how do we prioritize which one should he go after first, and like matching up, that the type of feedback with the channel that you're leveraging so it doesn't disrupt the experience i'm just very conscious of you know if a developer is in the port in their developer portal and they're trying to do something popping up a 10 question survey isn't probably going to get me the response that i want and so that's been a learning for me
0: absolutely and i really i really think that first learning is incredibly valuable uh, I think we've all, as product marketers, come to various points in our careers where we've been asked to, like you said, go collect feedback, um, either in a structured or, or maybe unstructured way, and we'll get feedback from customers that you know is a really big pain point for them. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Oh man, we're not going to tackle this until you know three quarters from now or a year from now." Like, what do I say to this person who's like facing this and struggling with this every single day? But you know that it's just not going to get touched. And you know, I think one of the skills you have to learn as a product marketer is how to, uh, you know, set expectations accordingly, but also show that empathy and, and show that compassion for that person or that customer that you're chatting with and be like, Hey, I know this probably sucks to have to deal with this every single day or every time you engage with the product. And I hear you. And it's something that we do want to tackle, but you know, unfortunately probably not as fast as you would, as you would love it. But I promise if you're patient with us, we'll deliver on that and, and make things easier for you. Um, easier said than done, obviously. And I'm sure, you know, we've, we've both experienced customers who react in varying degrees of positivity to that feedback. Um, but it is unfortunately the nature of the beast at times.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think one benefit with developers, I think they understand how long it takes to build something versus, you know, marketers or other in roles that maybe aren't as close to developing. And so it's, hopefully an easier conversation. But I think the takeaway is like always closing the loop, whether you've really addressed it or just we've heard you and you know we know it's a pain point and we want to address it, but it's just you know not in our you know one to two quarter roadmap.
0: Definitely. I think we've all had experiences with various products, whether they be digital or physical, where you, you look at it and you think like just fix this. This can't be that hard to fix this one thing and then to your point, you know, whether you're a developer yourself or you work closely with them, you realize like, yeah, that's something that like may man, the surface seem like a quick fist is actually like months of unraveling existing code and, and dealing with tech debt that's holding you back. So yeah, definitely. I would imagine it speaking with people who understand that might make things a little bit easier. And, and I think just to stress what you said, because I think it's really important to, to highlight just saying like, we hear you, like, I, I get it. Like, I know this is, is painful and, and, but I hear you and we'll, we'll do something about this. Um again, probably not as fast as you would like, but at some point, I think probably goes a long way to to making the customer feel heard because that's oftentimes just what they want. They might not expect you to fix it tomorrow just to know that you know that it's a problem and that you want it fixed. So on the topic of you know your career and and getting into developer marketing, if you were to give someone who's looking to get into that world themselves, What advice would you have for them? Is there any specific skills you suggest that they should develop, any kind of experiences they should explore, anything to avoid? How would you say to someone, hey, if you want to get into um, developer product marketing, these are the X number of things that you should consider doing or maybe not doing? (laughs)
1: Um, I mean, I think the skill sets are definitely the same as a traditional product marketer. I think what it often comes down to is you have to love the technical side and love like distilling really technical, complex topics into simple terms and value propositions. I don't really have a technical background. I don't know how to code when people mention SQL, I'm just like, At what, uh, but I do love Digging into a complex topic and being able to fully understand and drill it down into something that's simple with simple value props that I can then myself go market to developers. And so I think that's really important. That's a, that it's a skill set that you own or you want to build, um, or that's a priority for you in order to, you know, love developer product marketing. I think it's not the sexiest product marketing role and you have to be okay with that. And I think I've come to a stage in my career where like, I don't have to be the Apple product marketer with this like amazing launch, but what I'm doing works for me and, you know, I feel like it aligns with my strength. So it's all about like what role kind of suits you.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's only going to be more and more developers in this world. Just like there was a phrase I heard in university that you know, engineers run the world, and it's kind of like an insider engineer joke. But I feel like you know we're getting to the point where now developers run the world. So even like you said, if it's not um, maybe the sexiest style of product marketing, it is still a very important and emerging one because there is so much value in being able to, to your point, like balance that technical approach and that technical language against something that is often perceived to, to, to go back to your point earlier, um, as being flowery and and you know a little bit um, fake is too strong of a word. But again, like inflating reality a little bit and trying to sell and market something effectively um so yeah definitely uh i think a, a very important area of product marketing that is very much i think still evolving much like the rest of product marketing is but for anybody listening who's kind of been thinking about it i think um Avery your advice here will be incredibly helpful to them so i, I appreciate you sharing that of course awesome well we've made it to the final question and this is one that i've been asking every guest over the past several episodes so Let's imagine a world where LinkedIn doesn't exist. And that's a very scary world <laughs> um, for sure, as someone who uses LinkedIn daily. Uh, what if it were up to you, and you could choose any company, any service, any product in the world to be a product marketer for, which would you choose and why?
1: So I have to admit, this one was racked my brain a little bit because I think most people want to go with like that fun consumer product. Uh, but for me, actually, it's Coinbase. And the reason is because cryptocurrency is kind of this black box for me. It's very technical, this idea of like a blockchain and these numbers. So I think the challenge of being able to distill this like super complex new um, concept Into like simple terms that a average consumer can understand, and maybe even like shape the way that companies talk about cryptocurrency to the to the market as a whole is just very interesting to me. And so that was my
0: choice. I think that's a great choice, and I've actually it's funny you mentioned that I've actually seen a couple. Um, large fintech organizations who are exploring crypto as a space actually post for product marketing roles because I think they're seeing the value in product marketing and and, and exactly what you said translating this again black box and this very technical thing because again I personally know very little about crypto um it's not an area that I've um spent a lot of time understanding personally um but yeah like it, it is something that is so challenging for a lot of people to wrap their heads around and I think product marketers are the f- perfect kind of people to come in and say, Hey, like you want to sell this to the masses? Like, let me be your guide. Like we, we can make this work. And I think, again, these financial institutions and fintech companies are waking up to that. So I think that's a fantastic answer coming at a, a perfect time because there's definitely a need for that.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's the core of like what product marketing does is translating something that's maybe not so easy for the average person to understand to, exactly. to really get it.
0: Yeah. Some, some product marketers are lucky. Like you said, they work at Apple, they're selling consumer products and people know, you know, no matter what, really most products that Apple launch are going to, are going to be varying degrees of incredible success. So I think if anybody is looking for a challenge, I agree. Getting into that crypto space is definitely one to consider for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I've got one more final, final question. I can probably guess how you're going to answer it, but I'm going to ask regardless is if anybody wanted to reach out to you to pick your brain about all things, developer product marketing, you know, ask for advice on how to get into the space or just chat about crypto, perhaps uh, how can they do that? Where should they reach out to you?
1: Well, I feel like I have to be a proponent for my own company. <laughs> uh, so yes, definitely reach out to me at LinkedIn. My name's Avery Wong. Please feel free to ping me and I'd be happy to chat.
2: Cheers. So we want to make sure that we're building in that repeatability. And I think that's what really helps us maintain the relationship. And those are just a couple of tactics.
0: Yeah, so many great things there. And I know that this is obviously an audio format. So none of our listeners can see me frantically taking notes as <laughs> we was chatting because there's just so many good things to, to pull away from that answer. I'll, I'll quickly touch on too, this idea of things being sales consumable. I've personally never heard that before. So if, if that's you coming up with that. A plus. I, if any of the sales <laughs> enablement tools are listening to this or, or people who work on those products, like steal that. That's a, that's a great uh, like thing to build a narrative around or even just a tagline. I, I think that's such a great concept. And I think, again, it speaks to that point of, like you said, sales is constantly having to deal with so much information and make decisions on the fly. And again, d- display that empathy that we talked about earlier, that they don't have the time and nor should they. To, to get into the weeds in the same way that product marketing needs to. Um, mm-hmm. So it has to be sales consumable for that reason. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more sales. Definitely not easy. Again, as someone who briefly spent a right. somewhat short stint um, in a sales related space, um, product marketers need to give sales um, representatives and anyone sales. I think the credit that they they truly deserve, because it is a challenging role. You get some, really, really high highs, but I'm sure some absolutely devastating lows at times. So hats off to all of our, our friends and colleagues in sales who who fight the good fight every single day. And then the other, the other piece, and again, something that I had never even considered, but having a sales rep take an active role in a go-to-market kickoff as opposed to a passive one, which is, I think, what most product right. marketers do is, hey, product marketing is owning this go-to-market. We're kicking it off here, the audiences I need to speak to. And now you're going to listen to me talk for the next half an hour to an hour about what this whole go to market motion is going to look like and why we're doing it. But I think the way that you framed having sales as a partner in that kickoff, almost as that, again, like that subject matter expert and the subject being the customer and the pain point and the problem that we're trying to solve, I think is such a smart way to frame it to get that sales buy in from day one. Because otherwise, again, it just feels like you're feeding this department this information and hoping that they retain some of it and that they care about it in the same way that product marketing does. And again, as we just said, because there's so much going on, rarely will they take it to the, to the heart the same way that product marketing will if they're not actively involved in the way that you suggested. So I, I love that.
2: Yeah. And you know, we're we're only as good as our programs are when they're consumed and utilized. Like it's great if we build this incredible training or incredible content. But if it's not used, you haven't done your job. So I think that's why we really just had to rethink that process of bringing in sales really early. And this isn't just account executive, it's SEs, it's sales leadership, it's everyone um, or executives in that regard. But for us, we're also really fortunate because we have just incredible, incredible salespeople who have been in the space, who have been in the industry and bring in so much expertise. So we're always relying on them um, for, for that type of content. But but yeah, it's been really helpful for us.
0: For sure. And I, I I'm sure that probably is... Presenting itself in the tremendous growth that, that quantum has seen over the past, you know, several months and years. Um, yeah. I'm sure it just speaks to the efficacy of that relationship. So, you know, obviously, you know, starting a relationship on the right foot and maintaining that healthy relationship is is important. But as I kind of alluded to earlier, there are some rocky moments. And I think sometimes that can stem from the fact that, you know, ultimately sales and product marketing are trying to achieve the same thing, which is ultimately drive revenue, right? At, at least one of the primary things that they're trying to accomplish. But at times, the way in which both departments can approach uh, accomplishing that can you know, vary and at worst be yeah, at conflict with one another. So I'm curious, how would you suggest a product marketer navigate those conflicting opinions, approaches that can sometimes lead to some unwanted friction between the two teams?
2: Yeah. Um, it, again, it starts with listening and discovery. So if there is any friction, um, I think at, at Quantum, we have a very it's not, it's not a flat organization, but there's just a significant lack of ego where anybody can call out anybody for anything. And that's really helpful to make sure that we're not just kind of like putting this image of what we want to be in front of ourselves or talking about metrics because we think that they should be important. Um, so that really helps when it gets to that conversation of what are we really trying to accomplish here? Um, and I think that kind of stems from our CMO. So Frat Ravid is our CMO. And she cares about what sales cares about. Doesn't really care too much about vanity metrics. So for us, it's pipeline and revenue are the things that she cares about. Well, and if you know, fraught exercising, she swims like five miles a day. But it's it's really important that we have that from the leadership level. Where fraught, our CMO um, and our CRO and our RVPs are consistently talking with one another, and we're all talking about the same thing. This means that marketing is in the pipeline meetings. We're in the sales meetings. And then sales is in the marketing meetings as well, when we're talking about the campaigns that we want to do and why we want to do these. Now, of course, this can get hard because even if you don't care about vanity metrics, we're all talking about revenue and pipeline. There's still the attribution question. And we're working through that and lines can get blurred, but we're, it's just not a focal point for us because <clears throat> again, from a leadership level, just don't have significant egos and we, it makes it really easy to focus on the right things together. Um, more tactically, I think if you're thinking about your individual team and, you know, if you've got a product marketer who's working on like a specific piece of collateral and it's part of their um, OKRs, for us, we do use OKRs, so objectives and key results, and we always make sure that there's a line to the top level company objectives. So if you're working on that piece of content, there should be a map back to the platform team goals the overall product marketing goals, overall marketing, all the way to a co- company level objectives, such as doubling ARR. So if you can create that link, even if it's not super, super tight, and maybe that links to a couple of different company objectives, because those are usually pretty broad. I still think that helps to communicate what you're focusing on and why, if there is ever that conflict, and that can help you just you know communicate what you're doing with sales. So, I think that's always going to be a challenge. Attribution is always going to be a challenge, especially as things are getting more and more omni-channel and marketers are having to get very creative. Um, but for us, it comes down to communication, focusing on the right things together, not focusing on vanity metrics, and then having a clear um, chain between team-level OKRs and company-level OKRs.
0: And I really like that whole concept of putting your ego aside and focusing less on who's the one you know, pushing the needle. And, and the fact that the needle is being pushed at all is what really the focus should be on. And I think oftentimes product marketers, because again, we do so much and maybe sometimes we're the lone product marketer or one of several product marketers on a team, but it, sometimes it can be challenging to to draw that direct line between the work that a product marketer is doing and how that's driving revenue forward, for example, unless, especially if they're not a product that has a direct attribution to that revenue number. So mm-hmm. I really like that idea of what are the specific, again, either company objectives or rural KRs, and how can you draw that line back to your own functional or product? You know, role based OKRs. And I think having that cross functional lens of what those OKRs are, you can go to teams like sales and say, hey, we know that these are the big company objectives or even just like the marketing and sales objectives and where those relationships and dependencies lie. And this is how the work that I'm doing is going to help you in sales accomplish the goals that I know you are also trying to accomplish. And it becomes, again, less subjective because you have these clearly defined objectives and goals and key responsibilities that each person is responsible for and how they depend on one another. So I I really like that. And I think that's a good, for anyone again in product marketing who's looking to build their OKRs is to tie them back to those company and departmental level objectives so that you know that the work that you're doing is is actually having an impact and you can draw those connections. Awesome, well, this has been great, Trevor. You know, I really enjoyed our our time talking about the relationship between sales and, and product marketing. I'm sure you and I can keep talking about this yeah. Uh, forever. Cause it's such a meaty topic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously one that I know you're quite knowledgeable in, but um, I will you know, wrap things up here and I'll ask you our final question, which is one I asked to all of my guests, at least more recently. Uh, and that's, if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company and solution would you choose and why?
2: Oh, wow. It's a great, it's a great question, Mark. Um, you know, I think I think I would choose a company because I f- I feel like it's very similar to Quantum and I and I love working at Quantum you know, um, but it's it's Taco Bell absolutely like undoubtedly and and I'll tell you why because when you think about it completely differentiated market position like Taco Bell doesn't compete with anybody it's not tacos it's not Mexican food it's not you can't even really put it into that fast food box I mean you can but talk about a strong market position secondarily their product team is always releasing and is incredibly innovative. They're always wrapping things in Doritos or putting tacos in quesadillas. So love working for a product team like that, very similar to Quantum. And then they have a loyal customer base. I mean, you can get married at a Taco Bell in Las Vegas, and there's a wait list to do it. I don't know what other fast food restaurant has that loyal of a customer base. There are some, but they're also doing well. And then lastly, it's unlimited market cap because, Mark, everybody likes tacos. So Seriously though, it is a, it is a company and a brand that I um, that I've always admired their their position to be able to do what they're they're doing with their products. So,
0: yeah, great answer. I also love that you just didn't do <laughs> a, a, a tech company, which I think is often the default for product marketers. It's like, okay, well, what yeah. tech companies out there? Can I be a product marketer at? But I think there are so many opportunities, and I think as the role of product marketing grows, hopefully through podcasts like this one and the work that the PMA is doing, that product marketers can find themselves at companies where there's probably not an immediate like recognition that, Hey, we would benefit from product marketing, but I feel like it's only going to grow as a function. And we might find more and more product marketers at companies like Taco Bell for the reasons you just provided. Cause yeah, I would agree based on what you just said, uh, like who wouldn't want to work at a company like that? Um,
2: Exactly. Exactly. Look, they're, they're innovating. They're ahead of the market. And I do think you're going to see product marketing crop up at a lot more of these like more standard enterprise companies because you know, things are being commoditized. Everybody has to differentiate and Taco Bell is doing a great job at doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Taco Bell, unfortunately, at least where I am in, in this part of Canada, doesn't probably have as large of a pr- footprint as it does in certain parts of the States, I'm sure. But uh, I don't know, <laughs> get some Taco Bell.
2: Yeah, they're, do- they're <laughs> doing great in Colorado.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like I said, this has been great, Trevor. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And Same. I'll let you go in just a minute here. Uh, but before I do, is if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, Ask you some questions about maybe making the transition from sales into product marketing or just again maintaining that healthy relationship between those two teams how can they get in touch
2: yeah i'm always always open to chat always love learning from other folks and what they're doing um so you know you can find me on linkedin just searching my name trevor Pyle. um i, I think that that's probably the best way i'm also heavily ingrained in the pma community whether that's the, the slack channel or you know just the community itself so feel free to find me there. And then I've got my contact information on my LinkedIn as well. But you know, again, thank you, Mark, for this. And thank you to all the work that the PMA is doing to elevate our role. It's it's, it's awesome to watch.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And thanks so much for your time. I'm sure we'll be in touch again. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. Avery. For everyone still so tuned in. We'll, we'll thanks so soon. much for listening. And if you enjoyed the, the podcast, thanks, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.